Hello, everybody. This is Rob Fredette with the podcast HodgePod, and we're going to delve into a situation which is very serious in the United States, and that's dealing with fentanyl, a killer drug. And uh, I have a special guest on tonight's podcast, Matt Thomas, and he's authored a book called Interceptors, The Untold Fight Against the Mexican Cartels, and he has a, a long career, which I'll let him explain and uh, first of all, Matt, welcome to my podcast. I'm really looking forward to uh, getting to learn more about this this problem. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Great for having me. Yes, sir. So first of all, tell us about uh, you are in Pinell County in Arizona. So how long you've been working in the sheriff's department? And then we can get into the book and uh, some other things. So welcome. Yeah, I've been uh, working there just over 30 years. I started with the Pinal County Sheriff's Office and been there the entire time. Uh, got into law enforcement at, uh, I was 20 years old when I started with them and, and uh, started in detention, worked there a little bit, went out to what we call going out to the road, which means I became a deputy sheriff out on the street. And uh, out as a deputy sheriff, uh, I worked everything from patrol to fatal accidents uh, to the DUI details and then got into drug interdiction stuff uh, and then worked a little bit of undercover. And from undercover, I got promoted to a sergeant and I was a sergeant almost 10 years. And during that tenure, uh, I did everything from undercover work to patrol to fatal accidents, uh, motors. I was on our first motor unit, um, <clears throat> did our anti-smuggling squad uh, and then promoted to lieutenant and uh, was a lieutenant of our SWAT team, anti-smuggling and narcotics. Mm. And uh, also in uh, I was in command of our SWAT team at that point. And this entire time I had been on our SWAT team. So as a deputy sheriff, I was uh, collateral duty on our SWAT team. And then as a sergeant, I was a team leader on our SWAT team. And then when I promoted to lieutenant, I took over command of the team and um, <clears throat> did that till 2016 and our current sheriff Mark Lamb, who, who many people know as the his AKA is the American sheriff, and uh, he won the election in 2016 and he asked me to move to the position of his second in command. Wow! So in 2017, I moved into that position and uh, been in that, that position since. That is impressive, impressive career. Uh, so, what was it like working on the SWAT team? Uh, you must have had some uh, difficult encounters. Yeah, SWAT was uh, one of my favorites. So SWAT and undercover, probably my two favorite things. And uh, our SWAT team, we have a lot of diversity in the call types. And again, it's collateral duty, meaning that we have a normal job. So like I was a deputy working undercover, and then I would also be on our SWAT team. And so when they would get called out, activated, uh, we would stop what we were doing, go deal with that situation. And yeah, we had... Uh, a lot of interesting calls throughout the years. And then towards the end of my tenure and, and uh, some of the stories in the books, in the book, um, that time frame, our SWAT team was also tasked with fighting the, uh, the Sinaloa cartel out in the Southwest part of our County, which is a huge smuggling corridor. Hmm. So uh, Pinell County in Arizona, how, where is it in relation to the border? Explain what that corridor is, if you could, please. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we are actually not a border county. We're about 50 to 60 miles off the border at the closest point. Um, and there, so there's a county um, in some areas, two counties below us before you get to the border. Uh, but 
the uniqueness of our county, the southwest portion anyways, is that that area is wide open desert and a lot of it is Indian reservation that starts in our county and actually goes down and crosses over into Mexico. It's the uh, Tohono O'odham Indian reservation. And that reservation is, uh, I think it's the only one in the U.S. that actually crosses international uh, boundaries. And so it is in both uh, Mexico and the U.S. And actually right now, uh, there's some news feeds that are showing that area. It's called the San Miguel Gate area. And uh, we have a huge influx of illegals going through there right now that are uh, basically just crossing over what is a uh, barbed wire fence and getting onto the U.S. side and waiting for Border Patrol to come process them. But that area leads right up to our county. And so our county is a key piece of real estate for the cartels because they travel that open desert and they hit the first civilization, really, in our county, which is Interstate 8. So Interstate 8 starts in our county at Mm -hmm. I-10 and shoots west all the way to San Diego. And Interstate 8 is kind of the northern boundary of that smuggling corridor there. And so when they hit the interstate, that's where they load drugs, they load humans into vehicles, and they shoot that up into uh, the Phoenix area to be redistributed throughout the U.S., so what are the uh, what are the biggest challenges for your department and other law enforcement agencies? Uh, well, so we we face the same challenges everybody else is facing right now around the U.S. And one of the bigger challenges right now is the degradation of the rule of law. Right. And people respecting authority, people respecting other people's property, respecting other people's rights. Um, And we have an issue with our society where we have people who think it's okay to do what they want, that there's no recourse for that. And then if we step in saying, no, actually, you've broken the law and now we have to step in and do something, then they want to argue, they want to fight, they want to plead their case. Um, And that's one of the bigger problems we have, because uh, as I came up as an officer, typically speaking, when you would... uh, I don't want to say confront because confront's probably a bad, bad way to describe it. But when you would interact with a person that had broken the law or was on the verge of breaking the law and you're, you're trying to work through that, um, they weren't confrontational like they are now. And, and now everybody seems to think that uh, they have all these rights that aren't actual. They seem to think that if they yell the loudest, that somehow they're not in trouble anymore. And uh, that's problematic for us in law enforcement because we're really not there to to be the judge and jury and to argue all those points. Mm-hmm. If we show up and we see that uh, there is, you know, probable cause to believe that you've broken the law, we take you to jail. And it's as simple as that. And we're really not there to argue all those points. And so what that's one of the big challenges that we have right now in dealing with uh, everyday citizens in our society as law enforcement. And then the other challenges we face is, again, nationwide trouble of recruitment and retention. So recruiting our next generation of officers and then keeping those officers uh, for extended periods of time, you know, for for a career instead of just a few years and then they go on to another uh, profession. Mm -hmm. Well, I did some research uh, uh, getting ready for our episode here and I did, I went on Twitter the other day and these are just some of the things uh, dealing with fentanyl in Metro Nashville Police Department. They just put a, Mm -hmm. uh, a tweet out or on their X and uh, in 2023, they have already 
uh, confiscated 400 pounds of deadly fentanyl, and it shows up in powder and pill form, and it's often paired or mixed with another narcotic like meth. So their motto was getting it off our streets saves lives. Also from this, uh, the CBP, uh, in the past 72 hours, this was on the 14th, they confiscated 603 pounds of marijuana, 269 pounds of meth, 194 pounds of cocaine, 52 pounds of fentanyl, and $541,000 in cash. And that was just in 72 hours. So that is a great pickup of illegal drugs. So it's incredible all the drugs that are coming in across the border. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, the drugs coming across, of course, is, is another major problem for law enforcement right now. Right. Um, because with it, it's weird right now because we've never seen human beings being the commodity like they are now. And so what we're seeing is an influx of humans, which the cartel controls. Um, so anybody who you see crossing the border. So when you're seeing the, the pictures or videos of just masses of people at the Texas border or the Arizona border, those people have all pay, paid a tax essentially or a fee to the cartels to cross into the U.S. at those different points. And so the cartel are controlling them and they're controlling the Kippenau County. Um, it was, I want to say it was 20, it was either 2017 or 2018 where I joined Tucker Carlson for a, a brief uh, interview and we were talking about the opioid crisis. <clears throat> and I, I mentioned to Tucker he said, you know, what are you worried about now? And I told him fentanyl because we knew it was coming. We were already starting to see it in Arizona. And he was like, well, what's that? And I said, well, it's the next thing that you're going to see. And again, that was 17 and uh, probably late 17, early 2018 that we were having that discussion. And uh, as you can see, anytime we were a source state for the U.S., right? So meaning the drugs come into Arizona and then get redistributed throughout the U.S. from there. And so anytime we're seeing something new, we know that it's coming to a a town near you next because it's not staying here indefinitely. It's going to go throughout the U.S. so it can get redistributed. And fentanyl has definitely been one of the worst drugs we've seen in quite a while uh, being redistributed because of all the deaths that are associated with it. Yeah, and I also did looked it up. 70,000 people died last year. 70,000 died from fentanyl last year. 90% of fentanyl captured is at the southern border. And this is off the CDC website. I had I wanted to make sure I understood the, the powerful. It's 50 times stronger than heroin, 100 times stronger than morphine. And in what form does fentanyl show up for my listeners in, in narcotics? It generally shows up in pill form for us or in powder form. So uh, you'll commonly hear blues or M30s, that is one of the most common things you'll see. And what those are is they're referred to as fake oxy. So they are blue, uh, small blue pills that are stamped with the M and, and the three zero, the 30 on them. And uh, they, the problem with those are they, they have no consistency. So the Mexican cartels are mixing the uh, fentanyl and they're mixing all the, the compound to make a pill and they're putting that all together and they don't follow any FDA regulations or anything like that, right? So you'll get one pill that is a fatal dose and one pill that's a dose just enough to get you high. So that's one form that we see and we see a lot of it. And then the other form is just pure powder fentanyl and that'll come into the country. And 
that's getting mixed in with everything. We found fentanyl in marijuana. We mm. found fentanyl in cocaine. We found fentanyl in methamphetamines. We found fentanyl and heroin mixed together. And uh, the running intel was at the time when we were seeing it mixed with a lot of these drugs is the addictive quality is why it's mixed in. So if the cartels are shipping up marijuana, they're going to lace it with fentanyl a little bit so that you get addicted. Um, and if you're buying Coke, they're going to lace it with fentanyl so you get addicted. And it's very addictive and, uh, you know, much more so than some of your standard opioids and uh, has a much higher death rate, as you noted, with the 70,000, which is actually, by our estimates, we're closer to the 100,000 mark of deaths associated with fentanyl last year. Wow. And I just got off this this off the DEA gov, government website. One kilogram of fentanyl can potentially kill 500,000 people. Is that correct? Yeah, because it takes one dose. So literally, the, uh, I'm, I'm telling you, these M30 pills are super small and one pill. And we have many instances where this has happened. And unfortunately, with some of our, our uh, younger kids, high school age kids, uh, and you'll see the slogan, one pill can kill. And that's kind of the campaign against taking these pills because we've had, I'll tell you, one in our county, we had a 14-year-old girl, great girl, good grades, good family, mm. no history of any problem. Uh, she took a pill that a friend gave her because she wanted to sleep because she had finals and she had anxiety around the testing and all that stuff because she wanted to keep her straight A's. She took one pill while she was studying uh, to go to sleep and she never woke up. Mom went in and found her 14-year-old daughter dead from an overdose. Uh, and it's not, not actually an overdose. It's a poisoning because she did not mean to take those drugs, Gosh. those drugs were ingested because the pills were laced with that. Mm. That is that is horrible. I'm just an average Joe citizen, yeah. and I know we hear things on the news about the border, but do we hear? I don't hear a lot of. I mean, I hear items on fentanyl, but shouldn't that be like, like shouting <laughs> to the mounds about this? Because this is just like it's mind-boggling. You could fill a football stadium with the yeah. people who died. Right. And and the problem is this has become politicized. Right. And so anytime you add politics to anything, it's going to completely screw it up. And that was a, that's what has happened with this is it has turned into a political hot topic. And so if you talk about the border and how insecure it is and, and how bad the problem is, people are like, oh, you're just a Democrat or, or not a Democrat, but a, you're a Republican or you're a Trump supporter. And if you say, oh, you know, I don't have a problem with people coming across the border, then, oh, you're just a Democrat. And the, and the issue is this. Our immigration system is broken and it needs to be fixed. Um, but the answer is not what they're doing now. The, and it's all about policies. It doesn't matter who occupies the White House. It matters what their policies are mm -hmm. on these things. And under the last administration, we had policies that were in place that minimized this problem. And we did not see the amount of human beings being smuggled across. We did not see the amount of drugs that are being smuggled across or the type of drugs. Um, and now this administration has different policies and you're seeing the results of those policies. And so, yes, Americans should be screaming from the mountaintops, but there's uh, the, there's the divisiveness to be quite frank and, and nobody can meet in the middle anymore. So, if I say, hey, we need to secure the border, then again, I'm on that side. And if I say we need to be more relaxed with letting people into our country because we're an immigration country, then I'm on the left, right? And so 
if you work past all those arguments and get down to the humanitarian piece of it, um, the problem is this. We have criminal organizations, a.k.a. cartels, who are transporting people as their commodity and drugs as their commodity into our country. The drugs they're transporting killed 100,000 people last year. The people that they're transporting are getting trafficked and are indentured slaves for the most part to the cartels because they owe them. And uh, some of some of the stuff that people don't know or understand that happened here on the southern border. And I'll give you another yeah. firsthand account for for your listeners. Um, we have a, an air unit, so our helicopter does a lot of missions with Border Patrol on rescues, uh, apprehensions in the desert, stuff like that. So they apprehended a group, and in that group was a young lady that was probably in her twenties. And the young lady had a bag of pills in her possession. And so, of course, that always interests us, right? Because the first thought is those are illegal drugs and we want to make sure we secure those and they they don't get any further. Uh, So when we talk to the young lady and we uh, ask her, and this is our air crew that's doing this, hey, what are these pills? And she says, oh, these are morning after pills because I knew on my trip into the U.S. I would be raped eight to ten times and I didn't want to end up pregnant. And uh, we said, well, how did you know? And she goes, well, that's kind of how it is. Like everybody knows that you get raped along the way. That's kind of the price you pay as a female when you're immigrating in illegally. Um, And so there are stories like that where, you know, when people want to make arguments against having a secure border, they just don't understand that we want it secure so that a criminal organization can't exploit it and do things like that, rape a young lady. That is that is horrible. I mean, I'm just an average citizen and just I mean, why can't just both sides just get together and talk and just get this situated because um, 100,000 people, that is a lot of people just to be to be dead from taking fentanyl. It's it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, you're talking you're you're just talking drugs there, right? So you're talking the fentanyl piece, 100,000 Americans killed because of fentanyl. But then you look at the people that are coming into our country and how they're treated or what their goals are. And it is unsustainable. Like it, it's, we're going to reach a breaking point and the average citizen doesn't feel it right now. So they're not worried about it because we're an apathetic nation. And, and I don't know why we're so apathetic, but we have become that way. Um, and I, you know, quite frankly, I think it's by design because our enemies like us apathetic. Uh, and we're going to reach a point where it's going to break. And if you, if you pay attention to history at all, Go do some research on Rome and see how Rome was sacked. It was one of the greatest empires on the planet and ended up getting sacked by a bunch of barbarians. So people need to pay attention. Mm-hmm. What about, let's talk about your book, Interceptors, the untold fight against the Mexican cartel. So your experience in law enforcement definitely was your experience in writing the book. So talk about uh, your concept in writing the book and what you wanted to translate to the reader. So the concept was, uh, the concept kind of changed, right? When I first decided, hey, I need to write this book, uh, it had a lot to do with uh, discussions with my my boss, the sheriff, and uh, some of the stuff I had kind of told him. Because as he moved into office, we knew who each other were, but we really didn't know each other. Like we weren't friends before that or anything like that. So as I moved into this job, uh, your relationship as a second in command, I think in any agency, is a very unique relationship with the head of the agency, right? And so uh, the sheriff and I got to know each other, got a lot of time together that first year where he was learning, you know, who I was, what my history was. 
And as I told him some of the things that we had done to that point in the agency, he just told he's like, dude, you have got to write this down, right? And memorialize this because this is people need to know this. And so uh, working off that and working off of uh, friends that you would talk to or, or average citizens that you would meet at parties, you know, with the, the family or whatever, um, people are, are always like, oh, my God, you should write a book. And they, they do that with all cops because cops got crazy <laughs> stories. And uh, so I, I finally I said, you know what, I do need to write this down. And, and part of my drive was to memorialize the work we had done because I worked with some great men and women um, in my agency, in the U.S. Border Patrol, in Homeland Security. We all worked very closely together, did a lot of operations together. And uh, I, I wanted to get that down on paper and I wanted people to know some of the stuff we did. And so that's the concept that started the book. And I started to write down uh, some of these operations that I'd been involved in. And uh, as I wrote it, I then realized, like, wait a minute, people are going to wonder, like, who am I? Like, who the hell is this guy to write this book? Like, what's, you know, what background does he have in this? And so I figured, well, I, I need to lay a better foundation of who I am. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's what I started doing in the beginning of book. Here's how I grew up. Um, here's how I know the Mexican culture. Uh, here's how I was involved in the Mexican culture. Here's how I got into law enforcement. And here's my experience in law enforcement. So I kind of went through that in the beginning of here's who Matt Thomas is and why he can talk about this. Mm -hmm. uh, then I moved into uh, the cartels themselves and how they're structured, how they're set up, some of their belief systems. Uh, and I wanted to lay out, I wanted the, the reader to have a good idea of, okay, here's the guy that's talking about it. Here's what he's talking about and here's how they function. And then I went into the operations themselves and started laying those out so that they had a good understanding of what we were actually fighting and, uh, how difficult of a fight it was. So then I went through those stories and, and got the operations in there. And then I just kind of closed the book with, uh, letting everybody know, you know, what a problem this is and how big of a problem it is. And really that we as Americans have got to unite on this issue to solve it accordingly. And uh, that was, that was really it, man. Wow. That's, that's extraordinary because your experience, definitely you were able to translate that and put it into, put it into the books. So what was the reception of the, of, of the book? about? So the reception was really good. Um, and as a cop, you always want to be sure uh, that you, I don't, I guess have the approval of the other cops, right? So you want it to meet cop approval. You want cops to read it and be like, dude, that was, that was good stuff. Um, and I think I hit that mark with most everybody I talked to. They're like, yeah, that was the, you know, awesome stories. We love the operations. We love the breakdown of the cartel stuff. Um, all good stuff. And even, you know, even on some of my, uh, my growing up because I go into, I grew up in an impoverished area with Mexican gangs all around. I grew up with primarily uh, Hispanics in Hispanic neighborhoods. And so even talking about that culture, some and going into some of the gang uh, culture within that culture and some of the cartel culture within that culture. Uh, I, I got great feedback from, from all of my law enforcement people, a lot of my military people, and then the average citizens uh, I got feedback more like um, mind blown, right? Like, oh my God, this really happens. And like, yeah. And that, I think that is what really 
sends it home for me is when I get just an average citizen who who's not involved in this world that says, oh, my God, because I tried to keep the politics out of the book. I just wanted to go mm-hmm. straight information. Right. I'm providing you with a story on information that I know firsthand because I worked the problem. And I think I accomplished that from the the reviews I've gotten, from the feedback I've gotten uh, with the average citizen saying, oh, my God, like I knew there was a problem or maybe I didn't know there was a problem. And this really opened my eyes to what's going on down there. Wow. I'm old school. I like to digest news and look at both sides. And the other day I was watching the news and this was on Fox News Channel. And I watched different news outlets just to get a a feel for what the news is about and border patrol warning for agents. This was the story. Agents should exercise extreme caution and should report any possible armed subjects approaching the border with possible explosive devices. So I guess they had an IED threat. I've never heard that before on the border. Yeah. And uh, what you will see, and again, in the book, it kind of goes into some of the cartel structure and some of the wars between the cartels. And so, you really have a failed state in Mexico and the cartels are running rampant down there and they are at war with each other and they've been at war with each other for years, for decades. And uh, their wars have significantly increased in violence level and that violence level has gotten closer and closer to the border. And so uh, what you're seeing nowadays is you'll see all out gun battles uh, just south of the border between two factions of, of, either the same cartel if they're in fighting or different cartels mm. that are fighting for uh, power and territory. Uh, but you'll see open warfare. And uh, uh, I, I have a buddy who's a retired DPS guy out of Texas mm-hmm. and he does some stories on his social media down by the border and they'll film it at night and you just see running gun battles back and forth on the South side of the border. Um, and so as they move further North and as their battles move further North, there's times where it spills over into the U.S. People really don't know that, and the U.S. government's not really talking about that. Um, but the threat of of high-end weapons, the threat of explosives, all of that is starting to be seen. And uh, the other thing that we're seeing is uh, we had a, no matter how you look at it, we had a completely failed exit out of Afghanistan with our military, with all the equipment we left behind, right? And we are now starting to see some of that equipment show up via the black market in our backyard. And so we have Mexican cartels who have night vision. We have Mexican cartels who have military grade weapons. And it's stuff that they are getting from our Afghan exit. Uh, And so all of that stuff is a real threat. And then you add, so you have the Mexican cartels that are running that and you add in that they are opportunists for money, really. So if you have countries of interest that want to do damage to the U.S., they're going to partner with the cartels to get in through those unsecured borders and to get things in through those unsecured borders as well, IEDs, weapons, all that stuff. Wow. So uh, what is a typical day like? Is there such thing as a typical day? I always... I've always uh, I to- I've gone to a couple of citizens police academies, and there's no such thing as a, politi- a typical day. From what I've asked officers, is there a typical day, or is every day different? And does your experience help you through some certain situations? So, 
first part, no typical day. There's no, <laughs> there's no cops hate the word routine, right? Cause there's no routine patrol. There's no routine traffic stop. <laughs> every stop, every contact every day is different. You never know what you're going to deal with. Uh, and, uh, truth is definitely stranger than fiction in our world. Uh, because some of the stories that you have been through, you tell people and there's like, no way. And you're like, yep, that, that happened. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's a crazy world we live in and human beings are crazy. Um, but with that, I think, um, there's, you know, how you deal with it and how your experience helps you. So as you get time, as you get experience, yes, you become a better officer because you learn how to deal with different people. You learn how to deal with different cultures. Um, and you have a Rolodex of information realistically. And so there's calls that are similar in nature, right? And so sometimes you'll go to a call and you'll be like, okay, I've seen this movie before. I know how it ends. So I kind of know how this is going to go. Um, and so that helps you, right? Having that Rolodex of experience where you can apply what you've learned from the same type of call to the call you're dealing with. And, and that helps you get through it. And you'll see it you know, there's so many videos out there now that, that people can watch on cops and cops doing stuff and body cam video. And uh, you'll see a lot of times experienced officers versus inexperienced officers. And like one of the things you'll see sometimes is inexperienced officers that are uh, just talking, 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 talking. And uh, I, I think they're trying to figure out what's going on and they're trying to get wrap their mind around the call. And you'll see an experienced officer show up and they'll just be like, okay, boom, we're doing this, this, and this. And then the call's over and it just gets handled. And that's really the difference as you gain tenure and you gain experience is you just learn how to deal with things and move on to the next problem because there's always a new problem waiting for you. And uh, what about the uh, the law enforcement agencies on the border fighting the drugs? You You collaborate, obviously, with other ones. Can you explain that dynamic as well? Yeah, so uh, like what you're seeing right now is a lot of collaboration between U.S. Border Patrol, Homeland Security, and your local and state entities. So like for Texas, they're DPS, they're, they're uh, state troopers, um, Texas Rangers. They're all working together to combat this border problem. And the same thing happens in Arizona. We have a very good relationship and partnership with our brothers and sisters at Border Patrol and we work day in and day out with them. Uh, we back them up. They back us up. Same with uh, Homeland Security. So the investigations arm of, of Homeland Security, we work with them on big investigations and, uh, you know, taking down the drugs, taking down the smugglers, all that stuff. And then even our locals. So our local city agencies um, and state agency, we partner with them to combat this problem because it's it's a local problem, it's a state problem, and it's a nationwide problem. So we all have to partner on it to solve it. Are there any obstacles for the agencies uh, as well when you're dealing on day-to-day uh, happenings? Oh, yeah. The uh, two biggest obstacles are politics and money. Um, because, as I stated before, politics get involved in everything, and especially when you're talking about uh, national-level problems that are being handled by locals. Um, and so politics can get in the way and it can disrupt operations. So, you know, for law enforcement, we're just out there trying to solve problems. And a lot of times you'll have agencies that their hands get tied because of politics. So they can't solve that problem or they can't help solve that problem. Um, and that's one big thing. And then of course, you know, budgets, uh, cartels 
are not restricted by a budget. Uh, government entities are, and we have to play within the rules. So the rules, the budget, the politics, that all uh, hinders you a lot of times. And uh, that's why, you know, you you may or may not have heard, but uh, down in this area, a lot of the politicians that are trying to get the border secured are calling for the U.S. government to um, essentially name or identify or designate the Mexican cartels as terrorists, narco-terrorists, uh, and because they are by the definition, because if they if the U.S. government would designate them as such, it would open up resources uh, for everyone. Uh, it would it would open up military action. So we would have the capability of using our U.S. military to go after these organizations and the heads of these organizations. Uh, it would open up the ability to freeze bank accounts internationally, worldwide, uh, to start locking up money and to start freezing companies that deal with these cartels on laundering money, on you know moving drugs, moving weapons. Uh, so it would open up a whole slew of things that we could use against the Mexican cartels. And, and uh, so that's some of the stuff that restricts us and some of the stuff that we would like to see. Well, uh, it just begs me to ask, do, does anybody ask for feedback from the local law enforcement, you know, uh, are you talking about like national politicians or? Yeah, just, you know, na- just national, yeah, national politicians just getting feedback. I mean, from what you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. I mean, you're dealing with a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, honestly, there's probably a very small percentage that ask because they want to know. Uh, most of them come down for photo ops because they're running for office or running for re-election. So a lot of them don't actually care. Uh, they just want to seem like they care at the time for votes. And then there's a small percentage that actually do care, uh, but you are up against one hell of a big machine um, in, in the U.S. government. You know, So if you, have, if you have the will and desire to fight these cartels head on, you don't get a lot of support from a lot of the politicians. No. Interesting. Cause I mean, this mm-hmm. is a, this is like an epidemic and it's mind by, I've learned so much just getting ready for this podcast episode, just about fentanyl <laughs> and the, and the, you know, I've heard about it. You need to pay right. more attention to it, but it's amazing just how many people just, I think I've seen some things on television where uh, a law enforcement officer a couple of years ago got a, touched it and they, his fellow officer had to, put that can or something in our can. Yeah. Yep. And Narcan. it was just like, it was just like something is minor. Like it's yeah, just mi- it's very dangerous stuff. So what about uh, you are the number two in command of your uh, sheriff's office. Explain about how, how mm-hmm. big the sheriff's office is and how much ground you cover. Cause it's quite a vast, vast land that you cover for your sheriff's department. Yeah, we have, uh, you know, depending on where your listeners are in the country, they'll either be like, Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Or they're going to be very surprised because uh, comparatively, like especially to when you're talking the Midwest and East Coast, our counties are very large out here compared to the counties that you guys are used to back in those areas. Um, our county is 5,400 square miles. So we're about the size of the state of Connecticut. Wow. <laughs> and uh, for that uh, for that 5,400 miles, we have about 250 deputies to service that whole area. And we service a population of about 500,000. Mm-hmm. So it's not a huge population, but the uh, one of the main issues we deal with is that we are smashed right in between Phoenix and Tucson. 
uh, the two major metro areas within our state. And so, and we're becoming more of a metro area because the growth is headed into our county from both ends. And so we're starting to fill up. Uh, we get to carry over crime from those areas, from the major metro area. And uh, we deal with a lot of that stuff on our, our county edges where it's it's more metro. And then we have some very vast rural areas too. Some mm-hmm. uh, We're very diverse as a county. We have farming areas. We have areas that are mining like copper, silver, gold mining. Uh, we have areas that are completely urbanized. Uh, we we police, as a sheriff's office, we police a town that is about a population of 125,000. And we service that with the sheriff's office. And, and that's uh, with part of those 250 that I'm telling you are on our on our uh, force. And then we also are responsible for the jail. So we have about 167 employees that work in our jail facility because everybody who gets arrested in the county gets brought to our jail and we have to process them through. Um, and <clears throat> yeah, I, and we have we're a full service agency. So as a sheriff's office, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we have guys on patrol. We have an air unit. We have a motor unit. Uh, we have a SWAT team. We have canines. Uh, so we ha- we're very diverse in all the stuff that we do and, and all the types of calls that we handle. So what are some of the couple of things that uh, people might not know? You've explained a lot of information in this episode, but what are some takeaways that some could get from our talk about, like, the, the daily grind of, you know, to stop these cartels and fentanyl? What are some of the things, a couple of things that could uh, can enlighten my listeners? So I think just like you did, right, I think the biggest thing is to understand that this is a problem, right? There's an actual problem going on. So when you when you talk about when you hear like illegal immigration has become kind of rhetoric, right, because it's been politicized. So when people hear illegal immigration, they're kind of like, oh, my God, here we go with this again. But what you need to understand is you need to educate yourself as to what that actually entails, because illegal immigration is one thing that that we deal with down here and that is people coming into the country illegally right but the bigger problem behind those buzzwords is this when you're talking about humans being smuggled we're dealing with extortion rape murder uh, assaults aggravated assaults all the stuff that goes along with moving human beings that um, are under the control of criminal organization. Then you add in the dope piece, right? And that organization is doing the same thing with illegal drugs. And then if you really dive into cartels, Mexican cartels specifically, drugs and people are not the only thing they're involved in. They are huge into counterfeiting. They are huge into natural resources and stealing those natural resources, i.e. oil Mm. and gold, and then reselling them on the black market. And... Um, the Mexican cartels are referred to as transnational criminal organizations, meaning they are worldwide. So their reach is all over the world. They're dealing with all the countries around the world, getting their products to those countries and getting money from those countries. Um, and we just happen to have them on our back door uh, step here in the Southwest part of the U S. So all of those things that happen with, the cartel's involvement. Those are all the struggles we have. And then you're talking about a sheriff's office, right? And I kind of talk about this in the book a little bit. We are a local sheriff's office. So anybody listening in America can understand and know like what their local sheriff's office does. Some of the local sheriff's offices are very small um, and everybody knows who everybody is. And, you know, they, they have a 
a, a very tight relationship with their community. Some of the sheriff's offices are very big, like uh, uh, Las Vegas Metro, mm -hmm. a very big department, and it's a sheriff's office. Um, but no matter how big or small, just think about your sheriff's office and what they normally deal with. They normally deal with, let's say, drugs and family fights, right? Domestic violence, DUI, car crashes, all the normal calls that cops deal with on a daily basis. So we still have those calls. So we in Pinell County are still dealing with those calls every day, regular citizens having issues that we have to get involved in. And on top of that, you throw in this national problem of a transnational criminal organization, very organized, uh, very well funded, very violent. And we're having to deal with that problem, too, uh, because the federal government just does not do the job they need to do to curb it. And so we are very overtaxed. Um, our, our men and women put in a lot of long hours mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, they fight this battle well. But uh it is it taxes you and it it taxes our people and um i would think for the average listener they just need to understand how big of a problem is and again like you did kind of dive into it do your own research and see what's actually going on out there uh, because the apathy like i mentioned before is what we really have to overcome and americans have to get involved and uh that's the only way we're going to win this fight is if we if we unite and fight the problem. Yeah, I uh, I like to do my research. I like to get both sides of the story. I don't like to get one side. I like to read about it. I like to hear different perspectives. I think I'm down the middle. I think I'm old school in that respect. That's why I like to, yep. uh, you know, talk about talk about these items here. And what it comes down to is that human. I think if we're all human, we can all you know get together and try to solve the, these issues. And hopefully uh, someday we can get to those parts. But um, yeah, yeah, research, do your own research, see what's going on. around the country. And you would be hard pressed to find a community that has not been touched by specifically fentanyl. Yeah, I mean, you, you see it on the news and in, in small towns, rural towns here in the Midwest. You see it in big cities. Thomas, I want to thank you very much for coming on my podcast. I know you're a very busy person, Absolutely. and uh, I know you uh, probably had a long day today. If, if you did, I thank you very much for coming on my podcast, and I hope you would come back on again. Maybe we can discuss this after the New Year some more. Appreciate it. And thank yep. you for your Absolutely. service as well. Thank you. I appreciate it, and God bless you and your listeners, and thank